0: amen. Please have a seat. Why don't you grab a Bible, turn on a Bible, but to get to John chapter 6, we are in a study of the book of John, and uh, we started John chapter 6 a few weeks ago, and I've been on vacation the past couple weeks, and I hope you guys were blessed uh, with Kevin Fogarty and Ron Robinson over the past couple weeks. They both, they both brought a great message, and it really just touched my heart, and and uh, just blessed that both of those guys brought a great word for y'all and and you know even just last week I, and I hope you guys were encouraged by Ron's message last week you know like he said he hadn't preached in, in a few years and and he you know he may not have come across as nervous but he said I'm nervous but he brought a great word because we all have prodigals in our lives and, and I was just, just grateful for him and Kevin to be here so thank you all for encouraging them and but hey, we are in John chapter 6, and when we left off a few weeks ago, we were in the beginning of John chapter 6 with Jesus, and, and it's the feeding of the 5,000, but we know that that was just 5,000 men, it was probably a, a crowd more of fifteen to 20,000 people, and uh, we entitled that message, When You're Facing Overwhelming Odds, because you have 12, the 12 disciples and Jesus, so 13 guys sitting there on a mountain, and you have this huge crowd coming toward them, and overwhelming, and that's what we looked at a couple weeks, you know, before I went on vacation, and today, we are picking up that account, um, with Jesus dismissing the crowds, and now we're at the event where Jesus walks on the water, now, here in John chapter 6, John compresses that event into five verses, he doesn't really expound that much, It doesn't really ex- just show a lot of detail, he just like gets to the point, there it is, done, Jesus walks on water, done, well, Matthew and Mark are the other two books that this account is in. Luke, it's not in, and we don't know why Luke didn't right on it, uh, but he didn't. But Matthew and Mark are more detailed. So John is kind of like the broad brush of a painting. Matthew and Mark are more of the fine details of the painting. So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to preach this text, but I'm also going to refer to Matthew and Mark to fill in some of the gaps, okay? And, and, and to give the broader picture, to give more impact to this story. And, and so today, um, that's what we're looking at, is John chapter 6, starting with verse 16. Let me read our verses, and sh- let's see where we're going today. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them, the Sea of the sea became rough because the strong wind had, was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. And but he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him in the boat. Immediately the boat was at the land in which they were going. Compressed story right there, isn't it? I mean, John just gets to the point. We're out on the boat. It's raging. Jesus walks on the water over and done. Not much to preach there, is there? So that's why I'm going to Matthew and Mark also. But I want us to see what's going on here, where we're going today. Notice it says that the disciples went on the boat and were on the sea. And notice how it describes it. It says it was dark. Jesus wasn't with them, and the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Here's how Matthew and Mark describe this. It says the boat, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 24, it says the boat at this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. In Mark chapter 6, verse 48, it says they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. So the disciples are on in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. This is where they were when they were feeding the 5,000. They were up on in a mountainous range, and they went down the mountain, got on the boat, that went out to the sea, and it, the Sea of Galilee is in northern Israel. It's about 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. It's not like the size of Lake Michigan or anything, but it's still a pretty large body of water, okay? So Jesus is saying, hey, it's time to go. And they're in the boat, and it says they've rowed about three or four miles. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of rowing. With or without men. Okay? So they had rowed about three or four miles. And notice it says the wind happened. The waves were crashing. Well, here's what we can know about the Sea of Galilee. It it, it was a lower elevation than the mountainous ranges around it. Jesus and the disciples were up in the mountainous ranges, And here's what would happen a lot of times, is that winds come up over the mountains, sweep down the mountains, and go across the water, and before you know it, a storm is upon you. That actually, how many of you ever driven through Buffalo? Anybody driven through Buffalo? How many? You know, Paul's hand went up real quick. Here's what happens in Buffalo. We went up to Maine a few years ago, and we drove in January. Good weather everywhere, until you hit Buffalo. Because so you're thinking, well, why? What's so special about Buffalo? Winds coming off the lake, and it's called snow front lake or lake lake front snowstorm. So we get to Buffalo, and guess what? We're pummeled with snowstorm, and we're we're pulling over, sleeping in the car in a in a parking area during the storm. We get out of Buffalo, nice weather all the way to Maine. Come back through Buffalo. Guess what we get hit with again? Snowstorm. Because of the, the, the winds coming off the lake and bringing a storm with it. Out of nowhere. That's what happens on the Sea of Galilee. So these guys are on this lake and a storm comes out of nowhere. But look how it describes it. It was dark outside. The sea became rough. And the wind was blowing. Look at these verses. It says, they were beaten, by the way. And the wind was against them. They were making headway painfully. As I read these verses, here's what I thought of. That sounds like life. Life gets dark at times, doesn't it? Like out of nowhere, a storm just hits. Two weeks ago, I talked about when you see the overwhelming odds coming against you. Now, as the storm is on you. And you're smack in the middle of it. And it's dark at times. The wind is just, it seems like the, the wind of life is just blowing against you. The waves are just beating down on you. And do you ever feel like you're just making headway painfully? Like, where did this come from? Why are we in this? And it just is hard. And these guys were rowing hard and going hardly nowhere. I'm going to be honest, as I started looking at John 6 here, and I told Paul of this, my study all day Wednesday really went nowhere. I was making headway painfully in this message. I just, I struggled with it. And it's not because the the, the text is hard. I struggled with it for this reason. I had this thought. Because that's what I saw. I'm like, this is like life. The storms of life. And here's what the thought hit me. Your people know that. You've preached that message before. You don't need to preach it again. They've heard you talk about the storms of life. So you know what? And I thought, I'm like, maybe I just need to skip over this. Maybe I just need to blend it in with the next text and just kind of just make it a blur. But then I felt like the Holy Spirit brought back to my memory two things. One, I felt like I was reminded some of you are smack dab in the storm right now. And the waves are beating you. The wind is blowing, and you are making headway painfully right now. You're in the storm. And then I was reminded of what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter's been teaching these people certain doctrine, and he says, I am going to continually remind you of these things, even though you know them, and you are firmly planted in the faith that you have. I know, you've I know you have heard me preach these messages. I know you two, three weeks ago, it was in this, I was in this lane. But here's the thing: it is not when life is easy that people get angry with God and walk away. When do people shake their fists at God? In the storm. It's when people are suffering, when people are are feeling the storm, the trial, the fiery trial in life, that's when I've seen enough people say, God, I don't like this, and I'm angry at you, and they walk away. So guess what I want to keep doing? I'm going to keep reminding you. You're going to go through the storm. And I want to keep preaching messages like this, because I want to see your faith anchored to Christ. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see anybody go, you know what, forget this. If this is how God is, I don't want any part of it. So I'm going to keep reminding you. Whenever, See, this is one thing about preaching through a book. You just got to preach what's next. And so if, if there's another storm in three chapters from now, guess what I'm preaching on? Another storm. Because how many of you know, um, life doesn't just give you one storm and you're done. Some of you have had multiple storms right off like... One right after another. Maybe you're thinking, well, Jim, I'm not going through the storm. I've never really had anything bad." Well, just wait, it'll come. It's coming knocking on your door. And the question is, is when the storm hits, what do you do? So that's what we want to look at today, is when you're in the storm. And I've just simply entitled the, the message today, In the Storm. So here's what we need to do. Here's the first thing when you're in the storm. Number one, there on your outline, I would encourage you to take notes. When in the storm, trust in Jesus' direction. When you're in the storm, you've got to trust in Jesus' direction. Now in verse 16 of John, it says, when evening came, evening would have started somewhere around 6 p.m., okay? So at 6 p.m., the evening hours start to come, it's going to start getting dark about this time. It says that when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat and started across the sea of Capernaum, to Capernaum. So, John makes it sound like that the disciples just made up their minds to go. But look at how Matthew and Mark describe it. In Matthew 14, verse 22, it says, immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he didn't dismiss the crowds. Mark 6, verse 45 says, immediately he Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So let me ask you, was it just the, the disciples making the decision or did Jesus tell them? Jesus told them, guys, get in a boat, go across the sea, I'll catch up with you later. He made them get in the boat. Okay? So they get in this boat They get out there on the sea, and before they know it, what happens? Hello, storm. The winds start blowing, the waves start crashing, and now they're about halfway into the lake, and now they are barely moving because the storm is raging so badly. So here's the question you and I have got to ask. When Jesus said to them, and he made them get into the boat, He said, I want you guys to get in that boat and go across the sea. Let me ask you, did Jesus know that storm was coming? Absolutely, he did. He knew that storm was coming. Now, let me ask you this. Could he, you know, I mean, we're going to see later on when he gets into the boat that the waves calmed and the the wind ceased. He stopped it. So let me ask you, could he have prevented it from coming? Absolutely. But guess what he did? The guys get in the boat, go out to the lake. He directed them into the oncoming storm. He allowed that storm to come down upon that lake. That's hard for you and I to grasp sometimes, isn't it? Because we here, we learn, we are taught, well, wait a minute, Isn't Jesus supposed to to love us and care for us and take care of us and comfort us? Isn't he supposed to bless us and give us good things? Isn't he supposed to bring us victory and deliver us from things? To that I say, yes, he does. Then why would he do something like this? Let's go back. To what these guys just experienced. Remember, they just saw Jesus perform a miracle like no miracle before. There was about 15,000 people with no food. And Jesus is like, guys, where are we getting food to feed all these people? They're like, I don't know. But Andrew shows up with, with a sack lunch with five loaves of bread and two fish. And he's like, well, Jesus, if you can do anything, you can do something with this. And miraculously, they see Jesus feed all these people until they had unbuttoned their shorts because they ate so much and they had 12 baskets left over. Let me ask you, if Jesus is just always blessing you and giving you just good things and always just taking care of you and never testing you, never trying you, what would happen to you as a child? You spoil. He was teaching these disciples guys, you saw something great. Now let me put it to the test. You see, in the Bible, you're going to see usually two types of storms that that God may allow into our life. One type of storm is this, a storm of correction. You see this with Jonah. Jonah was on a boat, on the sea, and out of nowhere, what happened? A storm. And it was God that brought the storm upon the boat. For one only reason to get Jonah back on track. Because Jonah made a decision. He's like, I don't want to live and do what God says. I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to go where I want to go, and I'm not going to go where God wants me to go. I'm not going to go talk to those people that God wants me to go talk to. Forget that. I'm going to go my way. Let me ask you, you ever do that? You know what the Bible, see the Bible is God's word. And the Bible lays out what God wants for our lives. First thing he ever wants for our life is for you and I to have salvation. He wants you and I to come to know him and have a relationship with him. But he sets a a parameter on that. He says, the only way you have salvation is through my son, Jesus Christ. And you've got to accept him by faith. But how many people are like, no, 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 not going to do it. I'm going to walk my own way, do my own way thing. I'm going to get to heaven by myself. God's word gives us a lot of direction of how to live our life, how to live it right, things to avoid. But how many of us, me included, go, you know what, I know a better way. I think I know a, I, I know a shortcut. I know God, to tell me to do that, but I don't feel like doing that right now. I'm going to walk my own way, do make my own decisions. And guess what happens when you and I live life on our terms? We make a mess of things. How many of you know sometimes... The storm in your life may not even be God bringing it in. You and I can make so many bad choices, we bring the storm into our own life. Because when we avoid and ignore God's word long enough, and we just simply do what I want to do, and we're making bad choices, making bad decisions, and when the storm comes in, I can't sit there and blame, you know, Joe Bagadonis over here. Sometimes I got to look at self and go, I need to blame myself because I'm just making my own mistakes. But there are times when you and I are deciding to live away from God's word, that God will bring a storm into our life for Jonah, just like Jonah, to get us back on the path. To wake us up. Because how many of you know, it's usually when you're at the bottom of the barrel that you normally will look up. When life is really going bad, that's when a lot of people start to go, God, what is happening? And God's like, that's a good place to be. Because then you start searching yourself. You start asking questions. Why, God, what's going on with me? What's happening here? And it's all, those storms of correction is to get us back on course. So there's the storms of correction, but here's the other one: storms of perfection. And I think this is a storm that the disciples are in right now. A storm of perfection. Because Jesus, here's the one thing about Jesus and God and their is they want us to learn to walk by faith. The disciples were always with Jesus. Jesus did everything. The disciples just had to stand back and watch and be overwhelmed. Wow, look at that, that's awesome. And he's like, now i gotta, I got to put you out here to see if you'll still trust me. You still trust the Father. And he has to put him in a store. You know, there's a movie that came out in, uh, back in 2000 with Matthew McConaughey called u 571. It's about a, it's a true story during World War II, where um, U.S. sailors um, overtook a German U-boat, and they were trying to get the Enigma machines off there to figure out the encryption of the German forces. So they take over this German sub, and they go down in the water, and Matthew McConaughey is the commanding officer. He goes to the mechanic. He's like, man, you need to test everything and find out if it's working right. So the mechanic is taking his hammer and he's going to pipes. He's going, and water just bursts through the the pipe. And he's like, huh? But he takes his his wrapping tape and he's able to wrap it. Another pipe burst. He's testing that pipe to see where the weakness is at so I can fix it. God allows storms into our life to test our faith. Because how many of you know when life is easy, and I've said this before, how many of you know it's easy to praise God when life is easy? It's easy. to, Oh, I believe and trust God when there's nothing happening in my life. When my job is going well, my kids are doing well, my marriage is strong, my health is good. When there's nothing wrong in life, it is easy to say, I believe Jesus. The moment he's going ding, ding, shh, hmm, there's a weak spot. I'm going to test their faith there. How many people go, well, if that's the way God is, I don't want that, and they walk away. You see, storms of perfection always are looking to see how much more can we grow in our faith. God is all about our faith. To trust Him. To believe in Him. To take Him at His word. To be able to say, God, I trust you in this. And here's the thing: Not every storm in your life is because you're messing up. The enemy wants to tell us that. These guys were in Jesus' will. He told them, Go out in the boat, get out there on the sea, and the storm came. They were in the perfect will of Christ the storm is still king growing in our faith helps us to realize this it is better to be in a storm in the perfect will of God than be in the smoothness of life outside the will of God if you are in the perfect will of God and the storm is raging no, it's okay because he's got you there for a reason so understand, when you're in the storm, you've got to trust in Jesus' direction because there will be times that he will direct you into the storm. Here's the second thing. When in the storm, trust in Jesus' intercession. Trust in his intercession. Now for this point, you've got to go up to verse 15 because it leads into where we're going. In verse 15 it says, Perceiving then that they, the crowd, were about to come and take him and make him, force him to be king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Okay, so here it just says that Jesus went off by himself. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, it says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to a mountain by himself to pray. Mark chapter 6 says the exact same thing, that after he dismissed the crowds, he went up to a mountain by himself to pray. So he tells the disciples, get in a boat and go into the sea. I'll catch you guys later on the other side. He goes up to the mountain and prays. The disciples are by themselves, out on the sea, in the storm. Like I said earlier, the disciples were with Jesus all the time. They saw Jesus do all the miracles. Then wherever Jesus went, and he they went, and they were predominantly all the time with Jesus. So now they're out on the boat, in the sea, by themselves, in the storm. I have to ask. Do you think there was some conversation going on while they're out in that boat in the middle of the storm? I'm thinking so. And I'm wondering if they're asking a couple questions. Do you think out of the 12, somebody would have said, where's Jesus? Why isn't he here? I mean, I don't get it. Where's he at? He said he was going to... Where's Jesus? You see, they were in the situation before this one. Because in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 12 gives us this account. But in Matthew chapter 8, sometime prior to this account, they were in a boat with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden a storm hits. And in that time, they were able to go to Jesus and say, Lord, wake up! Why are you sleeping? Don't don't you care about us? We're going to perish! Man, we're being swamped! But Jesus was with them. Now, same scenario, but one person's gone. It's Jesus. He's not with them. They can't find him. They're, he's not there to wake up and say, Jesus, call the score. They're on their own. And Jesus is on a mountain praying. So again, I've got to ask a question. What do you think my question is? What's he praying about? Well, here's what Mark says. That when the, the boat was a ways away from the, the the shore, it says that Jesus saw that they were making they were they were making headway painfully because of the wind the waves were against them. What did you think Jesus at that time would have been like? It, it, it's time to go, but he doesn't. He prays. So I'm sitting there going, he's praying. So who is he talking <coughs> to? He's talking to God, God the Father. He's having a conversation. So, is he talking about, hey, God, did you see the feet of the 5,000? Wasn't that awesome? I think I did a pretty good job there. No, I'm thinking he's looking at his disciples, making me headway painfully, and he's saying, Father, help them. Father, will you help their faith at this time? I'm not with them. Help them to be able to trust you. Help them to know you're with them. Help them to know you'll guide them through this. Father, will you be with them? Help them to feel your presence. I'm wondering if that's what Jesus prayed. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But I'm pretty sure Jesus is not praying to some random stuff. He's watching his disciples. Watching the men he cares for and loves. Struggling and painfully moving forward in a storm. And he's communicating with his Heavenly Father. I want to believe they're connected that he is praying to his Heavenly Father for the people he loves. (coughs) Here's the awesome thing. Not only did he pray for his disciples, but do you know the Bible tells us that he prays for you and me today? Book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 34 says this. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Interceding just means he's praying on our behalf. Hebrews 7.25 tells us that he is always, that he always lives to make intercession for those who are being saved. Always lives to make intercession for you as a believer. Now, I'm going to be perfectly 100% honest. I have no idea what that really means. I, I don't know what it looks like for Jesus to be praying for you and me. I don't know what he's praying for. I have an assumption. Can I give you my assumption? And it's based on a scripture. It's actually based on, in Luke chapter 22. Jesus is talking to Peter, and Jesus says this to Peter. He says, Peter, I'm telling you, Satan has asked permission to sift you. Meaning, he's asked to bring a storm into your life. He's asked to go come against you. But Peter, here's what I'm doing. I'm praying for you. That your faith will not fail. You see, I'm wondering if that's what Jesus is praying for you and me. That when you're in the storm, when you're smack dab in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the hurt, in the middle of the I don't know what's happening here, that Jesus is presently praying for you. That he's praying, Father, help them be with them but also I'm wondering if he's communicating to the Holy Spirit now because how many of you know God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit are all one and they're all intermingled they're all talking to one another so I don't believe they're all like separate doing their own little thing they're all communicating to one another so I'm wondering if if Jesus is communicating to the Holy Spirit going whisper to their heart because how many of you know when you're in the middle of the storm you and I still have to choose whether we trust God. Or God doesn't force you to trust him, okay? But here's what I do believe. I believe the Holy Spirit prompts our heart, reminds us of what the word says. Like I just said about this message, I was struggling with it, and I just felt the Holy Spirit bring back to my heart and go, hey, Jim, Peter reminded his people all the time, maybe you need to do the same. I believe that's the Holy Spirit speaking to me through the word. So I'm wondering if, if God speaks to, the earth, Jesus prays and speaks and communicates with the Holy Spirit to be like, Hope, God has you. You're in the store. You can trust Him. He loves you. He cares for you. He's not abandoning you. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Tries to strengthen us and take the word that we know and remind us So that when we're walking day by day in the storm, we have the confidence of knowing, I can trust. Knowing Jesus is praying for me. Knowing that Jesus has this thing. Here's the third thing. When in the storm, trust in Jesus' timing. This is a tough one right here. Trust in Jesus' timing. Now look at verse 19. It says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. So they had rowed some time, and then they saw Jesus. Matthew chapter 14, verse 25 says it this way. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. Matthew 6, 6 verse 47 says, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And I love this. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. He saw they were struggling, but he waited. You see, the the time, as I said, at 6 p.m. is when evening started. From 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., the first watch. From 9 to midnight, second watch. From midnight to 3 a.m., the third watch. From 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., the fourth watch. They went out when it was evening, sometime around 6, maybe 7 o'clock at night. They were out on the water. Jesus is on the mountain praying. But in the fourth watch of the night, watching them painfully struggle, he goes out. So somewhere between 7, 8, 9, 10 hours, Jesus sat on the mountain. And his disciples painfully struggled that boat. And we're only able to get about halfway through that lake. Because the wind was against them. The waves were beating on them. Does that ever seem like life to you? Everything is against you. It is beating against you. You are making headway painfully. And let me ask you, do you ever ask where is God? I believe there are three questions that Christians ask when we're going through a storm. One is where. Two is why. Three is when. Where is God? Why is this happening? When is it ending? Three questions that a lot of times we may not know answers to. But the when is a tough one. Because, um, especially as Americans, we're trained to be impatient. Honest time, how many of you just love to wait? You're at the doctor's office, doctor will be with you momentarily. Dude, 30 minutes, man, come on already. I, I, we don't like to wait. We are programmed that if you want it, you can have it when Now. I mean, if you want, you don't have to wait down the road to see a movie anymore, man. All you got to do is just stream it. And there it is. Amazon, man, you need something, they'll get it to you in two days or even a day. Dating is changed. Now all you got to do is swipe an app. There she is right there. eHarmony even says it. That most people find love in 14 minutes. 14 minutes? Really?
1: What was I doing all this time before
0: I knew? you? It took me how long to fall in love with you? I mean, a little more than 14 minutes, maybe 16 and a half. But... Four? Really? You find love in four? You see, microwave love event. We want instantaneous results, and guess what we do? We apply our instantaneous mentality to God. God, we want it now. God, where are you? Why are you not moving? And we want the storm. Usually we want the storm to win. win. When Paula says, now, I want it to end yesterday. Let's get this done. But God doesn't move that way. You know, Isaiah chapter 15, God tells us this. He says, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. I sometimes think he should have added one little more thing to that. My timing is not your timing. We want God's timing to be our timing. Or actually, we want our timing to be God's timing. God, I want out of this now. But gang, here's the truth. And this is where you and I, trusting in the timing of of Jesus is so important. Get out of self. Get, get get rid of your own timetable. And if you can trust in God's timing, you've got to understand this. If you have a prodigal in your life, you don't know when they're coming back. I was a prodigal. Well, I grew up in the church, but I didn't come to know Christ until 1992 when I started this church. My mom, um, so I came to Christ in 1992. Well, when I started attending. Um, so my, I, I really came to Christ in 1992. My mom died in 1990. This is the person my mom only knew. Someone in the Navy. A drunk. A womanizer. Living life how I want. Doing what I want. Far from God as someone could ever be that was the only person she knew. But I know she prayed for me. Her and my grandma, they they both prayed for me. My mom never saw her prodigal come home. But did her prodigal come home? Absolutely. You may not see your prodigal come home. But that doesn't mean they never will. You've got to trust God's timing, how he's working, You don't know the timing of the health crisis you're in. You don't know the timing of the financial strain you're going through. You don't know the timing. You don't know when the deliverance is coming. You don't know any of it. All you know is this. God, you're in control. God, I trust you. I may not see it when I think. I may not see it when I want. But God, I trust you. And here's the thing. Your storm may not last only a week. It may last more than a month. It may last more than a decade. Remember last week, Ron talked about St. Augustine coming to Christ. That his mom prayed, remember how many years? 17 years that his, her son would come to know Christ. Your timing is not God's. But can you trust in Jesus' timing? Can you trust that he will do and work and come when he will do it? It all is about trust. To say, I trust you. Here's the fourth thing. When in the storm, trust in Jesus' nature. Trust in his nature. So he's walking on the water, he comes to them and says they were frightened. But look at verse 20, he says, he said to them, in his eye, Do not be afraid. Those three little words, it is I, that is actually the Greek translation from the Hebrew expression that that Moses asked God, when I go to Egypt, who do I say you are? I am. That is what Jesus basically said right there. When he says, it is I, it is the Greek translation of I am. Basically saying, he says, oh, by the way, God Almighty is now here. That's why if you look at the next verse in chapter 21 here, or in chapter 6, verse 21, it says, they happily put him in the boat. Because they're like, oh, God's here. Put him in the boat. We're okay now. The character of God, the character of Jesus, you and I have got to trust. He doesn't change it. He's always the same. And so you and I have got to know that the great I am is in the middle of your situation. The great I am is showing up. The great I am has it under control. The great I am has your life in his hands. Can you trust that? Can you trust in the character of who Jesus is? Can you trust that no matter what is going on, that you can say, Jesus, I trust you. I believe in you. I trust in your word. I trust in your promise. I trust in your character. I trust in who you are. I trust in your nature. I trust that you have me. I trust that you see me. I trust that you know me. I trust that everything about what's going on in my life right now has not caught you off guard, that you have perfectly ordained everything that's going on right now, and you will perfectly ordain seeing me through this. I trust you. Trust you. Because when you're able to say, I trust you, you're able to sing, It is well. Because if you can't say, I trust you, you'll never be able to say, It is well. You see, when you and I, here's when you and I begin to sing. This is where Matthew now picks up the story. When you and I can't come to that place where I say, I, I trust you, you're going to start to sing. Because in Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 through 38. Jesus is walking on the water. They see him, and he's like, It's I, don't be afraid. And Peter says this he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he would have seen the waves. He he like like this is impossible. It says he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus was on the water. He was far enough away from the boat that they weren't sure who it was. How many of you, if you were ever out on a lake fishing, and you saw some kind of figure walking on the water, you'd be a little freaked? Anybody other than me? They saw something. They didn't know quite who it was because Peter would have known Jesus like that. But he's like, if it is you, I can't really tell because the waves, the water, I didn't my... If it's you, Jesus, tell me to come out there. Come on out. (laughs) (laughs) He begins walking on the water. Now the thing is, we don't know how far he went out, but I do believe this. It was far enough because when he began to sink, he couldn't grab the boat. And the waves were crashing on him. He begins to drown. He's going under he started going under, not because Jesus failed him, but because he got his eyes off of Jesus. He started looking around, started seeing the problem, started seeing the waves, the wind, and then realized this is not, this is not possible. How many times, how often, if you're in the storm, how much do you sit around just looking at, and contemplating, and thinking about the storm? How impossible it is. How hard it is. All, 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 you, you, you don't see Jesus in the middle of it. In fact, maybe you're, the, the enemy's convinced you Jesus is not coming. And you're like, you're, you, you've thrown up, the, you're up your hands. You're like, this is, it, it's impossible. And you're sinking. Let me ask you, how, how much, you know, anybody decide me think we're living in some crazy times? How easy is it to live in fear because you saturate your mind with newscast after newscast after newscast? You watch Fox News and CNN and ABC and NBC, and you're just hearing all of this stuff all the time. And you fill yourself and saturate your mind with all the negativity of what the world is telling us, and you constantly are living in fear. The fear isn't because Jesus isn't there. The fear is all you see is the negative. And you've gotten your eyes off the wrong thing. How much time do we saturate our minds, our thoughts with Facebook and Twitter and every social media account there is and all the junk and the negativity and we're just, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be, you know, negative stuff, it's just, we're just filling our minds up with the, 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 the ideas and, and the, the personalities and the opinions of people. And that's all we're hearing. That's all we're reading. And we don't have nothing of God coming in. The reason why we sink in the storm is because we get our eyes off the wrong thing. When we get our eyes and our minds and the thoughts on the wrong things, that causes you and I to sink. That's why Colossians tells us to... Fix our hearts on things that are above, not on things on this earth. Fix your eyes on things above. What's above? Jesus. Fix my mind, my heart, my everything on him. That's why in Psalm 121, he says, man, I lift my eyes unto the hill, to the mountain that is before me. I look at the problem, I look at the pain, I look at the storm, I look at this thing, but here's all I know is this is in front of me, but I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's where my mind's got to be. In the middle of the storm, God, I know you are with me. You are the maker of heaven and earth, and I know my help comes from you. And then lastly, when in the storm, trust in Jesus' fulfillment. You've got to trust in the fulfillment that Jesus will bring. Verse 21, it says, they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land which they were going. I read that, and I'm like, okay, so we already read that they had rowed three or four miles. How wide did I say that the Sea of Galilee was? Anyone remember? Eight. Eight miles. Are you in the middle of the lake, or are you near the shore at four miles? You're still in the middle of the lake, okay? And the waves were crashing. The wind was blowing. Jesus gets in the boat. Matthew and Mark say the wind ceased. But they don't say this. John does. John's like, oh, by the way, not only did Jesus perform a miracle and cease the winds, somehow a motorboat got attached and boom! They were really fast on the shore. They took him all night to go three or four miles in the wind, but when it dies and Jesus gets in the boat, that fast they were at where they needed to be. It was like Jesus was like, guys, I had this in control the entire time. Because I will get you where I need you to be, how I want you to get there, and when I want you there. When you're in the storm, Jesus is in control. And he will fulfill what he needs to do in that storm. He will get you where you need to be. He will do what he needs to do, how he will do it, and when he will do it. And he will fulfill it. You and I need to trust him in that. But you want to know the the greatest fulfillment that's going to happen is when Jesus returns. Because think about it. He was on a mountain praying and he goes out to his disciples. Right now, Jesus is in heaven doing what? Praying. And guess what he's going to do? He's coming for his church. See, that's the ultimate fulfillment. You and I on this side of heaven, life is crazy. The world is spinning out of control. Storms are hitting left and right. But you and I, guess what your job is right now? It's just to trust. Trust in who Jesus is. Trust in his nature. Trust that he has you. Trust he's going to fulfill. And ultimately he's going to fulfill it anyway. He's coming to get you. And you're going to be with him forever. I want to close by reading a song. And I want you to just close your eyes. And as I read this psalm, I want you to just, if you're in a storm, Kind of listen to these words. The worship team can come up and get ready. And just close your eyes. And let these words just maybe be a balm, a salve to your soul right now. Let these words just, just pour over you and, and pour into your mind, into your soul. Let, let them bring encouragement to you. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, foam, though the mountains tremble as it's swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. Father, we thank you that you are the Lord God Almighty. And Father, in this storm, we know you are in control. You are God And I pray that, Lord, those who are in the storm right now, that they can see you, they can trust you, that even though the earth is giving way, the sea is turning, the, the mountains are crumbling, let them be able to know, I don't have to fear for my God is with me. My rock and my refuge. And that in this moment, these storms, we can be still and know you are God. And that, Lord, day by day, no matter how long the storm breaks in our lives, that we will say, I choose to follow by faith, and I trust you. So, Father, we praise you in Jesus' name.